Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the New Life Church Rewind podcast. My name is Michael, and I am here with Pastor David Sangster. Hey, everybody. And this week, we're doing something a little bit different. Oh, it's going to be fun. Because we have, uh, believe it or not, we actually do go on vacation from time (laughs) to time. And so while you're listening to this, it is very likely that uh, Pastor Dave and I are both relaxing somewhere or maybe we're not relaxing so. but we're not we're not home and we're not uh, here at the church so hopefully in the future we get a, a chance to do a few more episodes like this but this one is pre-recorded and we're going to be answering questions that were submitted to the podcast's email address which is rewind at discovernewlife.org and we had people submit questions um of any topic, mm-hmm. of, of any subject. Oh, man, I'm nervous. That we're going to answer. Uh, and the rules for this discussion are no internet access mm-hmm. allowed. Mm-hmm. All we're allowed to do to answer your questions is have a paper Bible in front of us. And hopefully we, we can uh, shed some wisdom on on these questions that you've submitted. And we might not get to every question uh, that was submitted but we did read them all, and we're going to keep compiling these um, in the future for more of these Ask Us Anything episodes. And also, if you have a question um, about one of the, the podcasts that you listen to, feel free to use that email address. Yeah. Rewind um, at discovernewlife.org. Yeah, and I think we'll try to put it in the show notes or wherever you find it. And... Um, you know, if there's a topic that gets uh, discussed that you want a little bit more feedback on, you know, w- we want to use this podcast as a means to uh, help you grow in your faith, have mm-hmm. good, healthy uh, conversations. And we're going to get into the to the Ask Us Anything uh, portion now, but keep those questions coming, and hopefully we'll do another, um, a few of these episodes. Now, this, this has to be both of us, right? So... You're going to ask me the question. You've got a chance to read them ahead of time and everything. You're going to ask me the questions, but I'm going to I ask might, you the questions. I might bounce it back to you. So get ready. Here we go. Okay. So this one, the first question was written directly to you, Pastor Dave. Mm-hmm. It says, Here is a topic you might consider speaking about in your podcast. I was curious what religion or church was your family um, when you were growing up? That mm-hmm. wh- Which um, church did you grow up in? Okay, so my church history is a little bit, uh, goes beyond me. My, my personal church history is mostly Protestant. We went to Assemblies of God Church mm-hmm. from the time I was a year old. Um, but I got um, baptized into the Catholic Church as a baby. Uh, my parents were Catholic. <clears throat> my grandparents, uh, my mom's side, were very Catholic. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying, there's like levels of Catholicism. Yeah. My, they were very Catholic. In fact, uh, when my parents uh, decided to uh, join the Sons of God Church in Torrington, my grandmother's priest literally told her that my parents had joined a cult. So this was very, fr- uh, she was very <laughs> upset by that. And so there was this, this ongoing uh, struggle with my, in- my, my uh, parents, uh, mother and father. And, uh, but the concept is they came out of Catholicism, not because they hated Catholicism, because they just didn't feel like 
Um, they, they came out of the Catholic charismatic movement, actually. There was a movement back in the, uh, back in the 70s of Catholicism that was very charismatic. And it was, it was kind of a cool thing. A bunch of these Catholics who were, were hungry for God, were hungry for the Spirit, and they were pushing their church, their, their Catholic church, to uh, get more into uh, Scripture, more into um, the, exhort, you know, the, the concept of, of Bible study. Mm-hmm. And what my, my parents found, and this may not be the case in every parish, but my parents found that the more they studied the Word of God, um, the more they realized that um, the priests in their parish didn't really know the Word that well. So that really turned them off. And, and when they would go to their priests and ask them questions, um, they, they didn't really want to talk about the Word of God. They just wanted to talk about what the church, the commentary the church had on right. what they were asking. So they really began to see that the, the, church, the, the Catholic Church's authority lied with the church itself as an entity, not with the Word of God. So, um, and it was almost like this attitude of, why are you asking me this? You should just... You know, listen to what we're telling you, and wh- why are you reading the Bible type of thing. And like I said, I don't know that's always in every parish it was that way, but my parents' one there was, and and then there was a great group of Catholic people that they were hanging out with. They were going yep. to they went to conferences down at like um, uh, Atlantic City, huge Christian conferences for the Catholic Charismatic movement. It was a huge movement back in the seventies. Yeah, that sounds like. Uh, I remember we've had this conversation before. I I, I had never heard that there was a. Catholic charismatic yeah, movement, or whatever. They, uh, they, they might have convinced me they, to stay. They might have. Uh, <laughs> they <laughs> they might have buried that uh, history. I don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah. So when I was a year old, we moved to another town, and uh, we started going to the Sons of God Church there, and then that's where I stayed my entire life, and I grew up underneath uh, that teaching for the rest of my uh, from a, from one year on. Yeah, and so. Like you, um, I I was brought up in the Catholic Church. I, um, you know, you know when you're a kid, it's hard to say like you were faithful or whatever. You're just a kid, right? right? And you and you have your parents' religion. And um, I had very fond memories, in a lot of ways, of, of growing up in the Catholic Church. But I will say that it, I always felt like there was something missing. Mm-hmm. And um, in my you know, my adult years, there were times where I went to church, I didn't go to church, um, and I, I was never by any means like an atheist or something like this, mm-hmm. but I fell away. I mean, I was, particularly if you use the standard of what Catholicism is supposed to be, because mm-hmm. my problem with Catholicism and the reason why I left is because I felt like I knew a lot of people who, it's not that they were hypocrites, but they were for all intents and purposes, they weren't Catholics. Right. Like they were like, yeah, I'm a Catholic, but I don't believe in this. Yeah, I'm a right. Catholic, but I don't believe in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what are we like? Well, wait a second. Either you are, you aren't. Right. right. And so I could never um, completely. And I will say um, some of my best friends mm-hmm. who are um, people of faith are, are Catholic yeah. people. And uh, I, I call them. Um, those people like the real righteous Catholics. Yeah, I, I really appreciate uh, their faith in mm-hmm. that. Um, they're they're actually, but they're living out Catholicism in a very real and I don't want to say strict way, but they actually follow the teachings of the church. Right. Uh, you know all that stuff. So I grew up like that too, and then um, you know I fell away, and um, I ended up 
Lutheran after that. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like Catholic light. That's yeah, kind of yeah. not not to make light of it, but I was like, <laughs> no, I there saying, was some yeah. familiarity there. Yeah. And then, um, you know, you know, from there, I, I ended up here at a you know at a Pentecostal church, and yeah, uh, yeah very unlikely. I, I think about it in in perspective of how I grew up. It seemed very unlikely that I that would end up here, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question because. Attached to that question, right. uh, the 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 asker says, um, "I ask this because I was raised Catholic, mm-hmm. and um, it seems as though her some of her sisters don't practice uh, Christianity or Catholicism anymore." Mm-hmm. And she said, "Sometimes I suffer with guilt because I stopped attending Catholic Church in November of 2022, mm-hmm. and instead I found new life way more rewarding." Mm-hmm. But my heartstrings are tugged because I feel a bit of betrayal to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Do you have an opinion on this? Meaning, obviously, we can't tell her how she should feel. Right. But like, is it is it, it okay to have um, some warmth in your heart for the religion you used to have, mm-hmm. uh, or nostalgia for, or something like this? What do you think about that? Well, Catholicism is built around a culture. It is definitely a cultural, a cultural dynamic, right? Uh, it's not just just like any church and any any Christian or or religious organization is is basically built on around a culture, and in that culture there are some very positive things. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, the <clears throat> the things that you grew up with and are nostalgic for are probably probably some of the better parts of the Catholic religion that you. I mean, you, you're not going to really have nostalgia for the bad, for the for the abuses of the bad things, but here the idea is this: where does your I would say where does your guilt lie? Does it lie in the nostalgia, which is just oh man I you know I I miss that part of it or uh, you know or is it this concept of um, that you feel that because you've left the Catholic Church there might be some problems with your Christianity or. Uh, yeah. Some guilt that lies with um, Catholicism telling you that this is the only way, and I'm guilty. I feel guilty now because I haven't done my confessions and my my ordinances and I mean my uh, sacraments and all these types of things. There's there's a difference in in, in those types of things, right? Because the 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 question asker and the reason we're just we're just decided not to use your names, um, you know, because this is very a public personal, pu- yeah, public personal, thing. Yeah. Um, says the betrayal is felt felt to the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and so I don't want to speak for for her, but I get this a bit, mm-hmm. and I think part. See, of I didn't grow. I, I was a year old when we left, so yeah. I grew up Protestant. So I, I would just say that you would probably have more. First of all, Catholic guilt like that. That's <laughs> it, a thing, right? It, we 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 joke about it, and mm-hmm. it's not always a joke, but like there there is this thing to it. Um, uh, but the betrayal to the church is like I, I think this is. For a lot of people, so my parents were Catholic, mm-hmm. and I remember, and I, Dad, if you're listening, I love you, but I'm going to pick on you a bit. I remember I, st- I became one of those born-again mm-hmm. people, right? Yeah, born-again. And it's funny because my dad, um, we, he was probably the person I was most likely to go to church with. Mm-hmm. And we used to always have these conversations about how he's like the most un-Catholic Catholic I ever knew. <laughs> he even says that. He even he says even it. Says he that. says it. So, um you know, the, I think the guilt some people feel is like it's it's a sensitive subject because 
you can't have your parents' faith. Right. Like that only, I'll say, maybe when you're a child you can. Right. Like your your parents' faith is good enough for you until you're old enough to know right. what faith is. Right. But at a certain point. God has no grandkids. Yeah. <laughs> at a, so at a yeah. certain point, yeah. you need your own faith. And right. whether that's, you know, and so when you migrate from the Catholic Church to, say, a church like New Life or, or, or wherever, um, I think some of the guilt comes from there's almost this implication that you're saying to the people you grew up with, like this wasn't good enough or this was Hmm, interesting. And I think, I think I have, I think that's a real thing. And, but my encouragement to you is you do not have to feel any betrayal to the Catholic church. Yep. Um, I may be slightly more sympathetic to the Catholics, maybe the pastor Dave, we've talked about this. Yeah. I, I um, I would encourage, if I could, people to leave the Catholic Church to come. But I think there are plenty of people who I know who are faithful Catholics. Mm-hmm. I don't question their salvation or anything like that. But you need to have your own faith, right? And if that's what you found here at New Life, mm-hmm. then you have nothing to feel guilty or, or right. betrayal about. That's that would be what I'd say. So what, the question goes back: What makes a Christian? Is it church affiliation or denominational lines or is it by grace through faith do i love jesus do i you know you can do that in a catholic church you can love jesus you can surrender your life absolutely and uh my thought is that after a while when you really surrender your heart to god you're going to see certain uh discrepancies with uh some of the catholic doctrine and 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 beliefs but maybe not right because again if I if I thought that was the best way to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd still be there. Right. I mean, I so so it is implied, yes, that I agree that what we do here at New Life Church is a um, a better relationship with Christ. But I don't think you have anything to to feel guilty about, and I don't. I hope I, I hope this uh, hope this helped. Okay, next question it says because you guys previously talked about how you could have. I'm sorry. Because you guys previously talked about how you wish you could have talked about David's parenting, so that's okay, remember f- these are the questions from people. We're not right. making up these questions and ourselves. Actually, this one I'm just reading, I'm reading Verbatim. poorly. because yeah. um, we talked about how that was one sermon in the David series that yeah. we kind of wish we got. I remember, to. Okay, I remember David's that now. parenting. Yep. Oh no. So, so after I stumbled through that question, <laughs> I am sorry, submitter. In your opinions, because here's really the question: yeah. What are the best? and worst examples of parenting in the Bible and why? Oof, there's, see, the problem is there's so many bad ones. <laughs> I have one right off the top of my head. Okay. Ultimate bad parenting move. Um, Jacob at Esau's mom. Oh, yes. Like, come on, man. Like, yeah. that would, like, I just, like, the scheming. Yeah. I, like, what a dysfunctional... Like we always talk about, we joke about toxic mask. That's yeah. a toxic mom. <laughs> like that's like, she's like literally wrapping her kid in like goat's fur. Yeah, she's messing with both the kids. She's messing yep. with dad. Yep. Talk about like an unhappy, bored. I guess they weren't tent wife, yeah. right? Not a housewife. Right? Like what do you call it? Like that one stuck out to me. Like right yeah. off the top of my house, like. Desperate tent wife. <laughs> Desperate tent wives of East Mesopotamia yeah, yeah. or something. Like I don't know. Like that that one for me is like yeah. right off the bat. I was like, this one was easy. As soon as I read it, that's what, that's what my mind came to. So that's a 
for yeah. bad. So I think one of the ones, that, another bad one, is just one couple generations. Like Jacob had his favorite son, yeah, Joseph, which totally messed everything up. He didn't have he didn't have the ability to compartmentalize his favor for this son without making his other sons look feel like garbage. It's right? Like, Here is this obnoxious coat. <laughs> <laughs> to, to tell your other brothers how disappointed yeah. I am in them. <laughs> I think one a good example is just another few generations yeah. down. I mean, not generations, like 400 years later, but the concept of um, Moses' mom and dad. Like, mm-hmm. they, they just would not allow the decree of the, the, the all-powerful government dictate to them what they were going to do with their family. And they took, they went so far as to um, to protect this child until they couldn't any longer. And then what did they do? They gave him to God, right? They gave yeah. him to God's care. And so many people think, like, you know, the Prince of Egypt movie where they put him in the, in the thing, and he's, like, sailing down this rapid river with, you know, crocodiles. Almost. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I – think, I think Jacobet was more, more uh, smart than that. I think she knew when the Pharaoh's daughter came out to bathe – I think she knew where the Pharaoh's daughter came out to bathe. I think she knew the temperament of the Pharaoh's daughter. And that's why she put Moses in the, uh, in the Nile where she did when she did. I don't think it was this, you know, uh, I think she was giving him to God. Yes. But I also think she was a great mother. So I think she, she did this on purpose. And then what happened? The, I think the, the reason that it worked out the way it did is because the Pharaoh's daughter could see what was going on here because what does she do she gives it back to what's it what's the sister's name i can't remember the sister's name see we're off the top of I'm our heads drawing, right I'm now drawing out. uh jacobed's the mom anyway it doesn't matter his sister follows the basket right and then the pharaoh's daughter sees this and she says i wonder where i could find somebody to, yeah, what a coincidence. To nurse yeah, this what a baby, coincidence, right? right? And so she gives the baby back to Jacobed. And am I getting that right now? Now I'm questioning myself all my names here. I think it's... Like I said, this is completely... Moses' mom. <laughs> this is completely off the cuff. I think I'm right. I think I'm right. But um, she gives her back to... Moses gets, gets to go back to his mom for all these formative years and weans and, and learns all the stuff about um, Judaism and all the things before he's brought back to... Pharaoh's house, the palace. So, yes, this was like uh, giving it over to God, yes, but I think it was an amazing stroke of brilliance from a parenting standpoint. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, that's, it's funny how the, our, our, we're going to go to completely different places. So um, this is one. Uh, we actually just talked about this at Men's Prayer, but I've always loved this now that I'm a new parent. Um, in Job chapter 1, Mm-hmm. It talks about how it was Job's regular practice to go down and uh, pray and, and offer sacrifices of, of repentance for his children mm-hmm. just and family, too, not just his children, just in case they had sin, committed a sin against the Lord. Right. And just that phrase, at least in the CSB, it says um, that was Job's regular practice. And I thought to myself— you know, you can say, you know, I, I, have, a, I have a daughter now. You know, you can... At Miriam. The, at, Miriam. Okay, there, there it is. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, they, they like, you know, they, they're at my funeral someday. Yeah, and right. People are looking at all the cheesy pictures and the music's playing. <laughs> but if someone says yep. about me mm-hmm. that 
that was Michael's regular practice, that he had that kind of prayer life for his children children. and his wife. Yeah. That's to me. That's an ultimate parenting move by Job. Love it. Uh, just despite all the weird things that happen in that book. Yeah. Okay. So those those are some good and bads. There's a lot of bads, unfortunately. Uh, Parenting. I think we. I think we've evolved (laughs) a little bit from the in the age of grace uh, to parenting better. I I just think mm, not good. So so there's some uh, just some okay. So now we'll tie that into a next question. Mm Um, so you also talked about how tagging on to the question we just asked, how David, he had a lot of goods, a lot of bads, but one of his bads, we didn't talk about it was how he seemed like kind of a crappy dad. Yeah, he really did. But what's interesting is intertwined with David's story. Mm -hmm. We spent a lot of time picking on Saul. Mm -hmm. Saul seemed like he was actually a really good dad. Despite I, how wicked he was, the spirit that came <laughs> on him, true. his from all indications, his children loved him very much. That's true, that's a good point. And despite his bad rap, that's encapsulated in the scriptures forever. So, what do you think about that? Well, how could someone like Saul be a good dad? And the real, the real question I want to, because now I'm talking. Yeah, <clears throat> isn't it interesting that you can be a good dad? outside of being in the right place with God. Isn't that an interesting thing? Yeah. Because I know, I know super good parents Mm -hmm. who do not have a relationship with God. Right. As far as I know. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Yep. I think it's, and one of those things is like, we have to decide, we have to kind of come to terms with what is a good parent. Right? What is a good parent? Um, a good parent is going to take care of their children in multiple ways. Uh, I think w- where Saul excelled was in promoting his children, um, keeping them uh, keeping them satisfied and uh, in succession to his throne. He mm-hmm. was very concerned about that. So he was good to his kids. He gave them things. He did all these things. And a lot of parents will do that. A lot of parents will um, <clears throat> naturally, because we're kind of, wired to take care of our progeny to you know um and some parents will do that better than others right? yeah but what is the you know we understand Saul that he he failed in one of the biggest ways and and, and David did a lot too you know but he failed in preparing them spiritually uh for I mean and ultimately got his son killed because of his lack of ability to pass on that but I mean in the natural ways yeah, he was a he was probably the he was probably an awesome dad. You know, he they got all the stuff, got all the things and they really loved him. They they did love him. That, and that's what I just find so interesting about the story is that, that, is, that is a really good point. I won't think I would have ever thought of Saul as that, but that's true. Cuz I mean, there are probably situations in life where people who aren't good parents but their kids love them. Mm-hmm. So like, we can't I don't want to read too much into it, but Stockholm at, at least Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan he respected him. Always had a lot of respect for the old he man. He, he was never afraid to like say he, he, dad's messing up or yeah. whatever. But it he just stuck by him. But he stuck by him. That, yeah, he that, really that's did. a that's like a storybook bond of like a dad mm-hmm. and a son. I mean, yeah. I, it's just just an interesting thing. Cool. Just interesting I, thing. That's one of the ones that's out of the box. I don't think I would have thought of. That's true. It's really neat. And so I don't know if I would 
that's why I didn't include him in the example of like good dad, good dad, but an interesting, yeah. an interesting um, kind of storyline that got missed in the Within David the series story of David that, that yeah. uh, kind of got overlooked. Okay. Next question. Uh, Pastor Dave, mm. have you ever had a hard time with your faith? No, never. Just kidding. Okay, That's next it. question. <laughs> no, uh, yes. I mean, so you mean to tell me that pastors don't have a perfect, easy faith all the time? Not if they're honest. Yeah. I, I think we have to be honest. What I tell people a lot of times is I honestly believe this, that if people are actively pursuing God, they don't have to be worried about their doubts because the Bible and God are big enough for their doubts. It's people who are playing at it, who aren't really interested in having those questions answered. They're just trying to play devil's advocate all the time or you know, they're just playing the game of asking questions and having doubts. But people who are really seeking, they have to be afraid of your doubts. Uh, I think one of the biggest times I, I really struggle, and I, I think doubts come more often when life throws a curveball. Because we believe, even though we went, and I might not even express it, we believe that when we're in Christ, things should just go smoother. Think, you know, we're a Christian, God, you know, we're a child of God. Therefore, you know, things should be easy or easier than other people. Well, that doesn't always happen. We live in a very uh, a difficult world. And um, around the time we, my wife and I were uh, thinking about starting our family, uh, we, we, we had a miscarriage, which a lot of, which a lot of yeah. women do. I, I think when you finally uh, go through that difficulty, uh, these stories come out of the woodwork, you know, they say, they say one in four women have miscarriages in their... Yeah, it's a very common thing, and it's almost like y- you someone goes through it, yeah. and that is the permission to receive a story from someone who's been right. through it or the permission to talk about it, but otherwise, it's yeah, like it's this... kind of taboo. It's this taboo thing that... Almost like, like if you talk about it, it might happen to you. Like, it's like, almost like a... Superstitious type of a concept, mm. yeah. Anyway, but, but, we, we, but had, continue. we were putting our hopes and dreams in this little life, right? And um, and just full full disclosure, we were having we were having a difficult time conceiving. So when this baby came, man, it was like everything to me. And then uh, we had a a second trimester uh, loss. Mm-hmm. You know, after a certain uh, first trimester, it's usually pretty safe to tell family yeah, and friends. Everybody says, yeah, you're good to go. Tell everyone. Right after I announced it from the pulpit that very week, we lost the baby. And I just went down. I was, I was angry. I was sad. Um, you know, God, I, I've given you my life. I have dedicated my life to your service. Why would you do this to me what and i started going down all these dark places of like you know uh am i paying for a sin or you know all these you know crazy things you go through when you're not thinking theologically when you're thinking emotionally yeah and um yeah that was probably the darkest moment where i really questioned whether i was going to continue with this faith journey of mine and um 
I did something smart in the middle of that. What'd you do? Un, you know, unintentionally smart. Now I look back and so that was probably exactly what I needed to do. I, I just did it out of sheer emotion. I gave it to God. I yelled at him. I said things I probably shouldn't say to God. Uh, I had a, a Psalms moment mm. where I was just ultimately absolutely transparent with God about my feelings, about how much I was upset with him, how I couldn't believe that he would allow this to happen to me, and where were you in all this? Uh, I sounded like a certain psalm writer, David, in his moments. Yeah. And I didn't do it intentionally. I just did it. And um, all I can say is this, and you can question me. You can, this is my story. All I, ha- all I could feel at the end of this, r- this series of rants was, I'm so sorry. I'm here for you. I love you. I'm sorry. It was, this, it was this overwhelming sense of, I'm right here with you, and I'm grieving with you. And um, had I not let that out, I don't think I would have been able to receive that. And, uh, and I'm not saying that that was the end of it. I was, oh, I was so happy and back to work and, you know, you know, no, but that was the beginning of my healing. And it was probably the most clear and intimate moment, uh, before and since that I've had with God. And it, it came from a place of complete and utter, uh, anger and frustration and doubts. Yeah. I, um, is there anything that you can point to and? This is it's in the same topic, but it just it's just because it's um, I'll use my recency bias because this is one of the it's it, this is new. Okay. It's new. It happened more recently than things in the past. I'll say the hardest to answer the question very briefly, honestly, the hardest time I ever had with my faith was coming to faith. Interesting. Because I was one of those I was one of those too smart people for God. Mm, OK. And yeah, I've never felt too smart. <laughs> No, and what I mean by that is I actually wasn't. That was the hard part. It was the hard part of seeing that um, I so relate to when Paul talks about how the gospel mm-hmm. is confounding to wisdom. Mm, that's good. And th- it was though it was passages like that that like that that it, like it almost crushed me. Mm. So that it was hard. Come, but but just more recently. Um, I'll, uh, I'll share. This isn't for. F- I can't share the, the complete details, but mm-hmm. I honestly believed I was rebuked by God. Mm-hmm. I had some things that I was going through, and I had some thoughts that I was having, and he 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 rebuked me. Mm-hmm. I I know that I was um, basically told, basically, like, stop the pity party mm-hmm. and, and keep moving on. And sometimes the hardest times of our faith is when we realize that, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're not doing it right, yeah. and you need to, you know, you need to... Um, um, change course, and I think a lot of times the hardest times in a lot of people's faith is when we we think we're on the right path, or we're doing the right thing, and then at a certain point you just can't unsee it anymore. You got to change direction. Right. So those are usually some of the hardest times to do uh, to, to to deal with your faith. Like, yeah. I shouldn't say deal with it, but like experience your faith life is when yeah. you know we'd like to think we're batting a thousand, right? right? But it's probably more like a real baseball batting average. Like, yeah. what is the Mendoza line? Like, 200 or whatever? <laughs> like, if you're doing it right, yeah. .200, you're probably in pretty good shape. That's a good point. Um, the next question, does it get stressful knowing that people look up to you 
to help them with their faith. Yeah, it does. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to define stressful. Um, the the pastor and the I also I will say the pastor's family has a spotlight on them. Mm-hmm. It really does. It has a spotlight, and and that's something to remember. If, if you're in a church and uh, pastor has kids, and you know his pastor's wife, cut them some slack, man, because they're under the spotlight all the time. If your kids were under that level of scrutiny they would struggle too. So, you know, have some grace for the pastor and the, and the pastor's mm-hmm. family. But yes, um, because I think, and it's not necessarily a stress that the pastor always puts on themselves, but it's a stress of what people perceive to be the pastor's uh, level of perfection. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and I, I think some pastors struggle with that even more than I do because I'm very transparent with people. I mean, from the pulpit, I'm just saying, like, listen, I, I struggle with this, too. I, yeah. I'm a very transparent person. So if you come to my church for any period of time, you're going to realize that the pastor who's speaking to you is also getting a lot out of the word that he's speaking, right? Because it's coming from the Bible. And, I, you know, I think um, what I've learned in my 23 years of ministry is sometimes the answer is to just shut up. Just sit with people, commiserate, pray with people. You don't have to have all the answers because you don't. And, right. and sometimes the right answers are unsatisfying in the circumstance that you find yourself in. I mean, uh, somebody's going through a tragedy. You may have all the right answers as to why they, th- their tragedy could have been avoided and, and how they can avoid it in the future. And as a younger man, I might have gone down that route. But... Um, I think wisdom is not only knowing what to say, but when to say it and when to shut up. And I think I've learned, hopefully, hopefully I've learned to do that more, um, to just sit with people, commiserate with people, and then find the right times to impart God's word. Because like we've said many times on this podcast and in the sermons, you don't care what we think anywhere. Yeah, and um, I'll just say that it is good that you look up to your pastor. Yep. But we have to also not get too carried away yeah. with the, I don't want to say it, the The, the pastor mm-hmm. can't believe for you. Right. He can't pray for you. He is, um, he is anointed and ordained to help you. Mm-hmm. But um, I would just say too, as an encouragement to anyone listening with it shouldn't necessarily be stressful because in a way you're doing it together right it is a journey that's that a you're healthy. taking together that's a that's what a healthy look at what the right. like the office of pastor um because um, what's weird is your pastor he's he's not your friend mm-hmm. and i don't I mean that in the nicest way he's oh, man <laughs> You can be friends with kidding. your pastor, but but the the pastor is uh you know he's a shepherd right, and um his calling is to is to just honestly in the best that he can do, you know to and I would say this to take care of Jesus' sheep. That's what he asked the pastor to do. There um, should be also so, but just make sure you keep looking up past him to, to Christ too. That's I guess that's what I yeah. Really my last name is not Christ exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think, but it's also a good thing. For there to be a pre- some pressure on the pastor, I mean, 
Oh, 100%. So the pastor who doesn't feel any accountability is not a good thing either. There should be a level of scrutiny, I should say, but it should be, you know, it should be packaged with grace. But, yeah, the pastor's, he, he needs to be careful because he's, he's a representative of a greater, uh, a greater thing. The church, the head of the church um, is Christ, and you are supposed to be exemplifying that. So accountability is important, too. Very good, uh, and and we do look up to you, and we thank you. We really do from the bottom. I'll just speak for the congregation. Who inspired the way that you teach? And the question also said, because I love the way you teach the lessons. They are really touching. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can just give us a little bit of uh, insight onto, yeah, you know, how you developed your your maybe your preaching technique or style or or, or something like that. Yeah, it's a hybrid of of people that I have um, been influenced by from a very young age. My parents were both teachers, and my 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 mom and my dad are phenomenal teachers. I mean, uh, they were just some of the uh, some. My, my parents had been nominated for teacher of the year multiple times. I mm-hmm. mean, they're just fun, they're just great teachers. So, um, living in a house where communication was so uh, you know, elevated, being a good communicator is something I, I can't take that away. My parents were such good teachers. And I think what, when they say what the, the lessons that they, they appreciate how I teach the lessons, I do tend to have more of a, 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 a teachy, mm-hmm. uh, pre- presentation than necessarily always like a proclamation. Uh, yeah, sure. You know, I sure. like to unpack things like a teacher as opposed to, um, evangelistic, uh, Types of, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, you're not really like the. I don't want to say. I mean, it's fire with, brimstone. Yeah, with all due respect, yeah. like the yeah, like no, the, I hear you. Like the sweaty rag preacher, yeah. you know, and and that's um, yeah. very. But good. then the, my preaching side, uh, very heavily, and these, sometimes I'm preaching, I hear him coming out of my things he said. Things was my 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 uh, youth pastor and mentor Frank Canador, who's now uh, mm-hmm. down in South Carolina, no North Carolina, sorry, in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, man, it's so funny the way he says things. I I hear them coming out of my mouth, and I almost stop in my tracks when I'm preaching. I'm like, oh, maybe I should like give him credit for that <laughs> because some of the things he says are some of the things that I still and and the, and the presentation style is very much like him. Very interesting. And um, just one quick, and this will just be a quick follow up. Who is one of um your favorite preachers? Like, if you were gonna say, man. I gotta be Dave, but if I could be like mm-hmm. this person, yeah. Who who would who inspires you? Even if you don't want to be like him, who inspires you with the way they preach? Yeah. So I I listen to uh, quite a when I listen to a pastor uh, podcast or a mm-hmm. sermon, it's usually like uh, Craig Groeschel mm-hmm. from Life Church. Uh, he's he's phenomenal. Very humble guy. Huge church, humble guy. Right. It's possible. Mm-hmm. It's possible to have a huge church and be a humble dude. Um, and then Louis Giglio, he he is like. Uh, if you can, if you ever listen to the purpose, uh, Passion and Purpose podcast, that's a great one. Louis Giglio is the, the man. Yeah, those two are definitely. Um, it's hard to deny that they're not gifted communicators. Oh my gosh, they're so good. Yeah, and real. They're so real. Like they. That's why I appreciate. Uh, I want. I want authenticity when it comes to somebody who's who I'm listening to. I, I want to know that I'm not getting a, fo- a phony. You know. Very good. Very good. Okay, so now. We only have a little bit of time left, so this will probably be our last question uh, for the podcast. So hopefully 
you guys will keep sending these questions in and we can keep making these uh, Q&A style episodes. But this one's going to be a little um, touchy. Ooh. A little touchy. So we're going to start with the, I'm going to read the whole question, but then we're going to take it in two quick parts. Okay. How are we to teach children in our homes who come home from school and are taught about evolution, the Big Bang, etc. <laughs> How old is the earth and where do the dinosaurs fit oh, into all of this? So we have about oh, we have about twelve we have about twelve, thirteen minutes. We could probably go like two minutes over. So the first one, let's just really quick. Okay. How do we practically if our children are in public school or even in some Christian schools now, mm-hmm. how do we balance what they might be learning there with our Christian worldview right. that doesn't necessarily agree with that? Just like a big picture take. How do we do it? Okay. What's a practical way? So how I've done it with my children who went up through middle school um, in public school um, is this. You have to present. You have to allow them to have the um, the experience of hearing other thoughts and ideas. If you start telling, shutting down people and saying you can't, you can't listen to that thing. You know, we're going to pull you out of every class. We're going to give you every thought pattern that you that is against what we believe is censored. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be stifling. So you have to let your children. Um, be exposed to certain levels of uh, what the culture is saying. That being said, you also have a uh, a requirement as a parent to give alternatives to that thought pattern. Okay, so what we have done is we've tried to explain to our children as much as the secular culture wants to pump, uh, you know, evolution and. A, a super old age of the earth narrative. It's exactly what it is. It's a theory. Yes. There is, science doesn't allow that, even though they will say it. The, the concept of uh, the scientific method will not allow for them to, uh, to make it a fact. So it's not reproducible in a laboratory. It, nobody was there to, to, to experience or, or to, these types of things are impossible. So I would say to my kids, it's an interesting theory, and it, I can understand why people who don't have uh, faith in a in a god would have to revert to that type of a theory. Well, I'll just say too for a second here. I think one thing now, my daughter is too young to quite have this problem yet, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I would say this. I think this. I feel comfortable saying this to anyone. Mm-hmm. Those worldviews the scientific worldview one thing they are dishonest about mm-hmm. is i shouldn't say they all but some mm-hmm. they're making a faith claim oh, too absolutely it's a theory and, th- and that is part of the thing that uh as long as we could admit that um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we're talking about unprovable hypothesis right um and so so the, the, the you know we go back to the question of like um it's a worldview issue this is what this is how they have to answer this uh, this this uh, story because they don't believe in God, but the 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 uh, the concept of God inserted into the situation changes the narrative because I mean you, and then you also give good biblical 
um, answers. Like the Bible says in Genesis 1, in the beginning, just start right there, in the beginning. In the beginning of what? So God, in the beginning, God, right? So if you push evolution back all the way, there's still, if you believe the Big Bang was a natural thing, what, what made the stuff that banged? Yeah. So you could push it back that way. So, so even if you push it back, you have to come to the concept of a prime mover. You have to come to a, the concept of the possibility of an intelligent designer because of the, the, the intricacy of how all of this works together and how the, the math behind it being random is completely untenable. Um, so you have, to, you have to be a student of it too. And so that you can give your kids good alternatives. And I say, don't make the decision for them, but guide them. Guide your kids. They will resent you if you make decisions for them. Yeah. But if you guide them with good alternatives and good science on both sides and say, this is, you know, this is what it is. So I think that's the best way to handle it. So how old is the earth? <laughs> so how old is the earth? How old is the earth? That's, so the, the reader went from, I mean, the, the, the question went from, you know, what do we do about it? But now, what is our answer? So, um, we have about ten minutes left. Yep. How old is the Earth? It's a very direct question. Okay. I found this one the very interesting. The answer is we don't know. We don't know. The answer is we don't know. If you wanted the concise answer, we don't know. There's there's schools of thought on on both sides of it: old Earth, young Earth. Uh, and and I'm telling you right now, both you can have a theological uh, opinion about it about a young Earth concept. But if you have that theological opinion, you you best look at the other side of it too, because they both have good backing. Right. You can have a just to hop in for a second. You can have a very solid, good theological position on an old Earth or a young Earth. Absolutely. This isn't one that's kind of shaky or whatever. No, I mean, and 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 honestly, um, the, the the question is, did God make the Earth in seven days? Because in, in, in about 5,000 years ago, six, 7,000 years ago, it's a, you know, it's a matter of... Isn't the answer to that, no matter what, yes? Because the Bible says he made it in seven days. What I'm saying is it isn't really the argument that the unit of measure that we call a day yeah. might be different. Isn't that really what people are debating? Absolutely. I guess that, and, 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 well, that, that and the fact that Genesis chapter 1 is a poem. It's a chiastic poem. So day could not, could mean, and, and, the, and the word that's used for day has multiple translations of whether it's a 24-hour day or a age. That's right. why you get this day-age theory. There's all kinds of good theories out there. Um, so the question is, did God make creation old? Right, because either the flood did more than, than we know, or God created into the, the, the very creation age to it. Or it's just really old. Or it is just really old. And then God, you know, there's different, there's different thought around it. Here's the thing. Um, we don't know for sure. So we have to go with the understanding that God created the earth, and he is God, and he's able to do it any way he wants to. Yeah, and... One thing that uh, is just a small pet peeve of mine um, is that I think it's a very privileged position mm -hmm. that people today take mm -hmm. that they read 
Genesis and they say, see, yep, all the science I need, like, like that they have to find a, that they have to find a naturalistic explanation in Genesis to make their theology go. Right. And I, I take a little bit of, of uh, I guess, offense to that because the people who were reading Genesis for the like when it was first compiled and when they were sharing these scriptures in the, in the Torah, mm-hmm. they didn't give a rip about science. Right. In, in the te- in the in the in the saying, sense yeah. of why this book existed, this right. was a, uh, a a narrative to tell people where they came from right. on a metaphysical level. Yep. Now that doesn't. Doesn't that, mean it's not true. That doesn't mean it's not true either. Right. But but I think it's um it's very interesting how I think people today they just so badly want to like find a verse and they're like, see, there's that scientific theory. They go to the next one. Oh, see, Bible says it right there. When it's like, really, that doesn't mean that they're not in there. But well, then I guess you just got to flip over to chapter two because there's 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 two narratives of how God created the earth, and one of them is like. Super quick, seven days, and then it talks about how Adam named all the animals and all these types of things. He, he so honestly, he can name every animal in the entire world in twenty-four hour day. Maybe yeah, I'll tell you, it's funny. But, you, it's funny you say that because every time my daughter gets a new stuffed animal, yeah. I give it a name, uh-huh. and I always joke at my house. Oh, I'm like Adam, yeah. and I and I'm running out of names, man. Right. Yeah, like I mean, we're, we're getting down to like there's like twenty stuffed animals, right. and I'm running out of names for these things. And so when we read that in the narrative there, yeah. I, and then and then there's a whole concept of God, of God making Eve from Adam, and this kind of like he had to realize for that he was in in need of woman. Whereas in the first cha- in the first chapter, we have this concept of God made it man man and woman. But there seems to be some. So all I'm saying is this: we got to be careful that we don't read into scripture but we read out of scripture what scripture was intended to give us. So, um, what is the, what is the, what is the, the message of Genesis that you were created by God for a purpose? Yes. And then that's, that's the, that's the, that's the meta narrative of the whole thing. And then, and then the scriptures continue from there. So I'll put you on the spot. Okay. We're not, I'm not going to hold you to this because I'm going to answer the same question. So don't, but if you had to answer the question, you say, I don't really know, but if I had to say, maybe this is the answer. Mm-hmm. How old is the Earth? Well, um, I think it's I think it's I think it's pretty old. I think it's old. I think it's I think it's old. But I don't think Genesis is wrong. Let me explain this. I think the Earth is old, but when we when we look at the narrative from Adam to Noah to Abraham, I think that all happened within. The five thousand years that we, or five or six, you know, the the, the near. I think that all happened. I think the ark, with the, the with, a, uh, with the flood, all happened within the timeline that Scripture gives. But I'm just I'm I'm a I'm a guy who thinks that um, there was a beginning and an end to our biblical narrative. God says it's going to be an end, and then He's yeah. going to make a new heaven and a new, and earth. new earth. I believe that the earth may have may have existed before this narrative and things happened on the earth and it was wiped out and then God started fresh. We know that things existed before crea- the creation as we know it right now because we have the the angels fall and the whole you know angelic narrative that we don't know a whole lot about but that was alluded to. So we know things happened. Um, 
before that. So that's just my take. But I do believe that God created the world as we know it and the, um, the timeline that we have at that point about this, you know, the, the thousands, not millions of years ago. I don't think we evolved from one celled animals and all these things. So you, what do you think? Yeah. Imagine that one day you're a monkey in a tree and then you're sitting here recording a podcast. I don't even think science is, you know, there's no good yeah. science for that at all. Yeah. Anyway, I'll ahead, say just real, just real brief. Um, the older I get, mm-hmm. the more and more I really start to consider I'm trending younger. Okay. The more and more I study scripture and the more and more I just have life experience, um, I've started to become very suspicious of these materialistic movements in science. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like they 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 work to debunk the Genesis narrative as mm-hmm. opposed to just pursue the truth themselves. Right. I know is we're, no, I, I hear you. We're, we're up against it. So the, the older and older I get, um, gosh, just in my spirit, the more and more. Genesis starts to seem a lot more literal mm-hmm. than I used to read it. Mm-hmm. Th- that's all I can really say. Yeah. I'm, I'm a I'm biblically agnostic yeah. about some and of I these topics. I can see it too. So real quick, and this is a nice, fun kicker question. We have a few minutes left. <laughs> oh, no. Whenever you say a few minutes yeah. left, I'd be getting nervous. I'll test your uh, ability to be succinct here. Where do dinosaurs oh, fit into all this? <laughs> Because oh, for me, man. I'll be honest, for me, I think if I had to answer this just like, you yep, know, okay. right off the cuff, like to win Jeopardy or something, yep, yep. like I have them outside of the garden, mm-hmm. pre-flood, mm-hmm. there's these animals that we can't describe because I... What what really gets me is there's and I, I, I'm talking about Job a lot lately. Yeah. Maybe even just getting old. I yeah. like that book. Is all right, Gilder. <laughs> God is quite proud of Levi- Leviathan. Mm-hmm. He's quite proud of Behemoth. Yep. Quite clear that they're dangerous to humans. So they. Yep. It seems to me, the best place to put them just off the cuff is there were these dangerous animals that lived outside mm-hmm. of the garden. Mm-hmm. We were protected from them. In the garden, mm-hmm. we all know how that went. Yep. And then in the time, this weird time that we don't know a lot about, where there were giants on the earth, there were yep. dinosaurs, and then the beautiful fossil record mm-hmm. that we have was from an instantaneous flood pressure, mud moving. That's where I'm at with the dinosaurs. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's all I got. That's where I put them. So I got them. Extinct with the flood. That's why they're not were here there anymore. Were dinosaurs on the ark? They were wiped out in the flood. That's where I got okay. them. Okay. So because again, but but two every kind had to go in. So they had to have that God chose to save me. I don't know. I guess yeah, we don't that, know the that's answers. A, that's the question. Um, I certainly don't think they were put here by Satan to tempt us. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> so I got them real quick. I got them um, in the creation. Yep. Pre-flood, mm-hmm. that wiped them out. Yep along with most of the, the giants and all that stuff. Right. And so that's why we have the beautiful fossils that seem impossible to make if you really start thinking about right. it. My what take on it is, is it, I have a couple things to say on this, and I'll try to be succinct. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we really understand dinosaurs like we think we do. Jurassic Park is pretty a crazy concept. Can I say one thing? What? One thing. When I was a kid... Uh-huh. And you go to the science museum, yeah. and you see these big, complete. No one ever told me half those bones were plaster. No, not half. Or like how many? 
like, like they have like a toe bone. Yeah. They, 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 honestly, I'm telling you for, for real, if you do the research, you find out that they have, they have fabricated these shapes and these skeletons off of a very few bones. Now, I'm not saying dinosaurs didn't exist. What I am saying is that I don't really know if we fully understand what they were. I mean, they have a lot of bone structure to, to birds and things like that. Uh, and a lot of these things are large. I mean, the, one of the things that was brought to my attention the other day is that if you found a fossil of an ostrich, it would it would very much match a lot of what some of these dinosaurs looked like. Yeah, if you've ever watched even a chicken, yeah, the, the way they move. Right, so they'll say that the dinosaurs yeah. turned into birds. Anyway, so I don't know that we have a full understanding of what dinosaurs actually are. Something was fossilized, and we do have some. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying dinosaurs didn't exist. I'm just saying uh, there's a lot of extinct animals out there, right? Mm-hmm. So, all right, that being said, um, I used to believe wholeheartedly in the fact that dinosaurs were living amongst men, these types of things, um, because there's really good, if you look at it, there's very good uh, hypothesis that, you know, there was actually dinosaurs that could have been on the ark. You know, it doesn't, doesn't tell you what size the animals were that went. They could have been infant, uh, uh, juveniles and things like that. Um, <clears throat> but I also have I've come across some very significant evidence that the earth might be older than just the six five six seven thousand yeah. years and that uh, i kind of call it like a sandbox theory that god in his because god is infinite right we kind of put god in our own timeline god is outside of our time into our defense we can't how, we how can, can humans exactly, conceptualize exactly. what time a, a world without time right but so the concept is that god made this earth that was was uh perfectly positioned to to sustain life all kinds of life and there might have been uh, different epochs in which God created different things. And uh, those things would be buried underneath when we got to the epoch of man, right? So we may not have been the first things on this earth in the, in the millions of years that God has been around. I wouldn't even say millions of years the earth has been around, but the millions of years that God has been around, right? So... Well, I mean, and even Genesis says there were plants before man. So, right. like, I, I know. in the so, most literal sense, yes, there were yeah. living things so before man. So dinosaur yeah. might have been, uh, might have been killed off, might have been, they didn't have the image of God in them. They weren't special like we are. Um, so, I don't know. The fact of the matter is, and this is what I will say, the flood narrative is the perfect mechanism for making fossils. Perfect. What do you need? Ken Ham loves to talk about this, right? And Ken Ham, take him with a grain of salt. But the concept is you need lots and lots of mud. You need to bury uh, a, a specimen very fast under lots of mud and water with high levels of pressure, pressure. instantaneously, or they will d- decay. The flood is the only mechanism on a worldwide uh, basis, because we see these fossils all over the world, um, that provides that prime opportunity for fossilization if the earth is in the young earth scenario, which it could be. Yeah, and, and just my final thought on that, with the flood tying into the age of the earth. It would have changed, oh my gosh. It would have changed the whole shape of it. Absolutely. But also, um, it's one of the few times in scripture mm-hmm. where we really get like a sense of grief from God. Yep. So maybe there was a mass extinction event. Oh, absolutely. And I, I don't, I, even when I say that, I don't think God 
grieves like maybe because he he foreknows all these things, but mm-hmm. like we do get this sense he's like I'll never do it again. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put this rainbow in the sky yep. and and you know forever you'll. Yeah, I was listening There'll be to, some beauty that comes out of the rain, I guess. I don't know. I was at the Grand Canyon. I was listening to the the park ranger talk about how the Grand Canyon was built over millions and millions and millions of years mm-hmm. by this little tiny river that flowed through. And I'm like, if you had a mass flood over the entire earth, and now science, science and culture are starting to, to shed light on the fact that this probably did happen. There was some kind of a mass flood all over the earth, whether you're a Christian or not. Every every culture has a flood narrative. Exactly, and 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 I know we got to run. <laughs> the, the thing is, is because no no one when you read Genesis, the people read it. Everyone knew about the flood. Everybody That's my flood. take on that. that yeah. Everyone, every culture all over the place. Yeah, they might have had a little bit of different take on which God did it yep. or, or what. Yep. But like, if you if you'd have went back to that day and said, "Hey man, you heard about that big flood?" They're like, "Yeah, let me tell you." So I, yeah. I heard about that. Flood. I got a story for you. Yeah. yeah. So culture knows about it. Science is starting to, to catch up with the Bible, right? Ooh, big surprise. Um, and something like the Grand Canyon, if there was a worldwide flood, the drainage of a worldwide flood into the Gulf of Mexico and into the Pacific would have caused a phenomenon like that much more quickly than, than, the, than they would, because it was, it was a massive, massive amount of water that had to be moved into the low areas where where land used to be, because the what like we said we were talking before this, uh, the concept of the earth was so different before the flood. It would it would change it would change everything, and it would have made it it would have wrecked it to the point where it looks old, right? It would have mm-hmm. wrecked it. So and then like the continents would have formed because water would have been released from the depths, and then it would have sunk underneath the weight of the water on top, and we would have more of a less of a Pangea and more of a continental structure. And when you really look at it, the flood narrative in Genesis is almost like the the undoing of creation. It's almost happening in the opposite order. Right. So it's almost like God was almost to the point where he wanted to right. completely undo creation because right. of sin right. and because of what he saw down here. So just so, to, anybody's listening to this right now, to, oh, do this for me. Go to Google Earth and look at a wide shot of the Sahara Desert. Okay. You will see wave, like, like you would at the ocean, how waves come in and they, they, they make ripples in the sand. Mm-hmm. You will see that all across the Sahara that empties into the Atlantic Ocean. And you tell me that there wasn't a worldwide flood. Check it out. So we're not sure how old the Earth is. We're not sure where the dinosaurs were on the up. ark, <laughs> but we're saying to you that flood happened. Oh, absolutely. that's how we. I, I don't know how exactly we got to the flood from that question, but uh, it's well, high. It's high. Uh, dinosaurs, dinosaurs on the ark. Yeah. yeah. So, so listen. That is it for this uh, question and answer episode. I hope you enjoyed your time with us. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I don't know about Pastor Dave, but I would love to do another one of these. So this was fun. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. <laughs> so if we could generate um, some more questions coming in uh, to rewind at discovernewlife.org, that would be great. We'd love to hear your feedback. And like always, please remember to give us a five-star review. Uh, put something in the comment section so that we know you're out there and we can continue to make these. Uh, and that's it for this week. Hey, have a great week. God bless you. Matthew 28.